0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA member FDIC. Five, four, three, two,
1: one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.
0: And welcome back into the Bama On Three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy. It's Monday. I know you're back at home. How's it feel? Uh, I think you were gone all last week. So how does it feel to get back in the normal routine?
1: Uh, A little weird, a little weird. Uh, But what's not weird is spring football practice starts at the end of this week. To me, that means football season. I play it up big just because it's, (laughs) you know, once once a day comes and goes, then it's, you know, three or four months until football till we have football. So I do spring practice up big. Because it's sort of like, well, when this is over, we really do have a long break until Alabama comes back. So uh, I'm really excited about about spring football practice starting.
0: Yeah, I tell people all the time, and I'm always wrong, but just telling people, hey, things for me will slow down a little bit when. You know, first it was like when the season ends, and then it was like, well, once we get past all the award stuff. Um, and then it was, you know, who's declaring for the draft and then it's getting prepared for the NFL combine. And now it's spring practice. And then you'll have the NFL draft, a lot of stuff going on, but then once the draft happens, cause then spring's over, you've had the eight, day game, you've got all that stuff, you know, a couple of weeks to talk about everything that you saw and what you learned and all that stuff. Then you get the NFL draft. Then it's kind of taken a week or so to talk about the fits and where guys end up and where they got taken and all that stuff. And then it's summer. And then you got a little bit of a lull, but by that point, what I keep, you know, turn all my attention to is how excited I am about SEC media days. And, uh, this year is going to be absolutely no different. Can't wait. I think it's in Atlanta. So getting over there and being, being able to participate in all those events and stuff, that's kind of where football season for me officially kicks off. And I guess it's really, it's a, what, about a month and a half. I think it's mid July. So it's not quite a month, but once the draft's over at the end of April, you got May, June, I guess it's two and a half months. But now that I'm thinking about it, this is a much further period than I realized, but then we'll get to the 100 day countdown. We'll be able yep. to, you know, talk about the roster and things like that. So really, we talk about the offseason. For Alabama, especially, there is no real offseason. I mean, it's constantly recruiting stuff. It's you know, with, the, with today's college football, it's NFL draft, its current roster, and we talk about that all the time. But today we're going to be covering a couple of things. We're going to be talking about the combine. And what happened with Alabama players, there's not a whole lot to talk about, speaking candidly, but we'll talk a little bit. And then we're going to shift focus to the position previews heading into spring, because you talk about Friday, Alabama is going to be getting back on the practice field. Then they know how I think a nine-day layoff between that first practice and the second practice, which, you know, you and I have talked, and that's kind of a strategy by Nick Saban to kind of keep the players focused throughout spring uh, break. And so we are going to do two positions a day, one offense, one defense, all five days this week, including on Friday. And hopefully that will get you prepared. So before we get into that, Jimmy, we'll go ahead and touch a little bit on the basketball, and I'll let you take over from there. Just, you know, SEC tournament coming up this week. What did you see from the team against LSU? Well, how do you think, you know, they look going into the tournament?
1: Well, on the one hand, let's not lump the LSU loss into – the, the list of disappointing losses. I mean, I, I know the expectations have raised and the bar is raised, but I don't think that we should judge Alabama basketball to the point where where if we fail to beat uh, NCAA tournament teams on the road, that it's some sort of disappointment or failure. Uh, there isn't a team in college basketball that would not have at least struggled to beat LSU and Baton Rouge. That's a really good team. They're gonna be in the NCAA tournament with a good seed, maybe a seed as high or higher than Alabama's. Uh, you know, there'll be a six or a seven, uh, could play their way to a five. So that's a good team. Losing to LSU and Baton Rouge is not anything like the Georgia loss, the Missouri loss, even the loss at Mississippi State, much worse than losing to, to LSU and Baton Rouge. However, that said, why did Alabama lose the game? Uh, didn't shoot the ball well, turned it over too much. I mean, th- that's been the story of this season, right? I mean, in terms of all the disappointments, in terms of the team not playing well, it's has, has started with poor shooting and turning over the ball too much. I know a lot of people are going to say, no, 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 you're all wrong. It's the defense. Look where the offense is ranked and look where the defense is ranked and tell me that the problem isn't on defense. That is a 100% true. But I would also say this, when you miss shots, and turn over the ball what are you doing you're giving the other team more possessions free possessions the other team has more possessions than you do when you turn it over too much and miss too many shots therefore you're putting too much of a strain on the defense too so all of those things have contributed to Alabama not uh playing as well as it can in every game and for 40 minutes every game and and that caught up to Alabama again but again a loss to LSU doesn't sink the season uh there's two, three, even four other losses that, that, are, that are much worse. Uh, but the good news is that's all behind you. The whole regular season is behind you. The postseason is where college basketball is made. Uh, what, what people will remember all during the offseason, Clint, is what happened in the postseason. Uh, if Alabama has a great run in the postseason, uh, we won't remember so much disappointments of the regular season. If Alabama has a disappointing postseason, then we will remember it all as one big uh disappointing uh stretch. uh and, and again, if they lose, i I think the old it will be the old bugaboos. It will be not shooting well, turning it over. so uh, but I'm excited. Uh, I love the SEC tournament. uh gets started Wednesday. Uh, I try to watch every game. Uh, I really enjoy it and uh i I, I think uh, I think I like Alabama to, to advance to at least Friday night where there's a really tough matchup with Kentucky. Uh, but I don't rule out Alabama winning that game. I I, th- I think if Alabama plays as well as they can, uh, th- then they can beat Kentucky. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. And and the other big thing too is the combine, right? Um, Alabama had 11 quote unquote participants, even though a couple of those, I mean, John Mechie, and uh, Jamison Williams, they were never going to participate in any of the on-field stuff because of the ACL injuries. Evan Neal ended up not participating in any of that stuff. That's another, I mean, you're talking about two, both of Alabama's projected first-round picks and Evan Neal and Jameson Williams. Neither one of those two players participating in on-field drills. You know, you had some other guys. A lot of guys didn't participate in certain things, whether it be the 40. You know, Fedarian Mathis didn't do the 40. Um, you know, a lot of the three cone drill and 20 yard shuttle and there were some you know, issues as far as timing and stuff where a lot of the other position groups early on were getting a lot slower times and that really made a lot of I mean, I want to say there was one drill where like not a single running back uh, elected to opt in and participate so they didn't even hold that drill for the running backs. Um, I don't remember what the drill was, but I thought that was interesting because the times were so off. So a lot of these guys want to get back to where they're comfortable in there, you know, Alabama will be doing it in their practice facility, indoor practice facility. They'll be a lot more comfortable. You'll see them test and perform better. So a lot of them decided to opt out of drills. Now, you know, when you see Georgia players not only participating but crushing it, a lot of people will be like, well, why didn't Alabama players doing the same? You know, they played the same amount of games through the you know the same length of time. You know, Evan Neal has said. He was still recovering from some things and getting his body right and stuff from a long season. You see Jordan Davis go out there and run a 4.79 or a 4.78. I know one of the Georgia guys ran. uh, Wyatt and him both ran a 4.78 and 4.79. I don't remember which one was which, but, you know, at 341 pounds. um, And I will say this, as far as recruiting, and a lot of Alabama fans probably aren't going to be happy with this comment, but just understand this was kind of Georgia's year. They win the national title. They send a lot of players to the combine and they are doing kind of the Alabama thing where all their players are like blazing. I mean, they're ran around like a, like a four, six, you know, they're just talking about the athleticism across the board with all these Georgia athletes, Lewis signed the, 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 the safety. He runs in the four threes. What Jordan Davis did was incredible. Devonte white running, you know, sub four, eight across the board. They just had great testing and everybody's buzzing and talking about the Georgia players. And that's typically Alabama this year you have two projected first round picks and neither one of them participate. You got other guys, you know, I think Brian Robinson had a great workout. I think, you know, Slade was kind of where we expected, but then you got Jalen Armour Davis. He ran sub four, four, I think a four, three, nine. So that was a great time for him. So, I mean, they, Alabama, the problem is, is that they had volume there, but a lot of their big name talent didn't participate. Christian Harris obviously had a great day as well, but, it just felt like there wasn't a whole lot of buzz surrounding Alabama, like there typically is the combine where really every other prospect you're talking about feels like Alabama this year, that was Georgia. So what were your thoughts on the combine and just the performances and, you know, should Alabama fans be concerned, at least in your mind, with uh, the lack of, you know, coverage and being talked about too much?
1: Uh, Not really. Although it's great. You made that point. That exact point was made earlier this morning on good morning football on NFL network. Whereas uh, one of the guys was saying, uh, one of the regulars saying, you know, in recent years, you leave the combine and, and, and front offices are saying, we need to draft one of these Alabama guys, doesn't matter which one, but we need to take one of these Alabama guys. And this year, they're, it's the same thing, but they're, they're saying it's the Georgia guys. Um, now, the question is, is this a, a one-off kind of thing where this year, it's, it's Georgia's guys and Alabama's a, a little bit of a hiatus. And then next year, Alabama reestablishes itself uh, as as the pipeline to the NFL-type program, or is this going to be a trend? And, and if so, uh, that would be real trouble. Uh, but, you know, I, I tend to think it's a little bit closer to a one-off situation. L- largely spearheaded by this, Clint, it's just health. Uh, the Alabama guys that competed did really well. I mean, Jalen Armour Davis, I- his numbers were fantastic, uh, 6-1 197, and running a four three nine. 9". Christian Harris, his numbers were fantastic. An inside linebacker running a 4-4-4. Brian Robinson, even his numbers were really good based on what we thought going in. I mean, I bet he's ran better than what most Alabama fans would have guessed for a guy who didn't hit a lot of home runs in college uh, to run a 4-5-3, which is really good long speed for somebody who measured in at 228 pounds. So most of the, the Alabama guys that participated did well. But too many Alabama guys were hurt. It's just a continuation of what we saw during the regular season where Mechie couldn't perform, J-Mo couldn't perform, Uh, LeBron Ray still doesn't feel like he's 100%. Chris Allen doesn't feel like he's 100%. These guys aren't going to test themselves until they feel as good as possible. They can put it off one more month, one more month of training, one more month of recovery uh, before they want to put up times that they will be judged on. By the NFL. So, to me, just a continuation of what we saw during the regular season. Georgia's dominance, and they were really, really good. They showed why this weekend, why they were so good during the regular season. They really put a bunch of athletic freaks on the field this season. And Alabama, a little disappointing, only in the sense that, hey, Alabama's best players or a larger contingent of their best players were just unable to perform due to injury. Just same old song that continued
0: and, and here's the thing too people will judge them for not performing and it's like you said if they're not feeling at their best if they don't feel like they're ready to give their best they once you have that you know you can improve your numbers at pro day but once you have something sticking with you it's hard to shed that if uh, Slade Bolden ends up running in the four fives somewhere at the pro day people are still going to look and say well at the combine he was, he ran a 466 six, and that will be weighted uh when you're Evan Neal and you're trying to become the number one overall pick and you got you know Icky you know Equanu uh, or however you say it the the NC State offensive tackle who's fantastic he's testing at a much you know not not better rate because we don't even know what you know Evan Neal's going to test at he looked fantastic by the way being over 67 337 pounds. he looked like he was 280 I mean he looked phenomenal but you know when you look and you say okay if he's not at his best and Equano ends up having a better workout than him, that can make the difference between him being the number one overall pick and somebody else. So he wants to perform at his best. If, if Just look at Kyron Williams, the, the running back for Notre Dame. He was considered one of the yeah. best running backs in the country. Not a big guy. Only checked in at 5'9", 194 pounds, but he ran a 4'6", 5'40". He had less than a 10-foot broad jump. He had a 32 inch vertical and being that size, all of those are extremely disappointing numbers. So he's gone from being maybe a mid round pick where people are saying, you know, well, if it wasn't for his size, he'd probably go much higher, but he's going to be great value in those middle rounds to just based off the way that he tested, he's probably going to drop to, you know, sometime late on day three uh, and be a sixth or seventh round pick. And so if you don't perform at your best, if you're not ready to perform at your best, then you probably do need to hold out. And Alabama players, a lot. I mean, there's been so many before them who have gone through this entire process, and they know what it takes, and they know what's expected. Uh, these guys get this advice, and they're told, uh, whether, whether it be by their agents, whether it be by Alabama coaches, whether it be by former players who have gone through it, they get to weigh all this advice, and they make a decision, and I fully support whatever decision that is. So we'll see what happens at the pro day, and uh, it'll be all the more important that all these guys perform once that day rolls around. We'll move on now, unless you got you got anything else on that. No, no, I just say that all these guys,
1: once the season is over, they've been trained by God. They're training for these events. They're not training necessarily on their football skills. They're training for their the combine and pro day. And if you're training for a specific event, and it's not something you normally do, because for, for their lives they've been working on being as good of football players as they can, and now boom, now you're a track and field guy. You gotta got train for these events and these specific drills that are gonna be done at the combine and pro day. Uh, are you better off training for two and a half months or three and a half months? Uh, that's why a lot of them pick up pro day. It's like, hey, I, got, I want another month to train for this event that I will be forever judged by.
0: And it's really, in a lot of cases, it's simply checking boxes. I mean, in order for Evan Neal to be considered For the number one overall pick, there are certain boxes that he's got to get checked, and he's checked a lot of them from a size perspective and from an interview perspective. But for an on-field testing, he's got to make sure that he's hitting those numbers. And really, it's not, you know, you don't have to be Jordan Davis. You don't have to blow people away. And at 341 pounds, he's running a sub 4840. That's incredible. You just have to make sure that you're getting those boxes checked. And if you don't check those boxes, then people start to question. I mean, Orlando Brown Jr., which is somebody who I've compared Evan Nil to in the past, think he's a much more athletic version of Orlando Brown, but he ran like a 5'8", 40 at the combine, yep. and he went yep. from being a potential late first-round pick, which is what the the Kansas City Chiefs eventually traded, a first-round pick to acquire him, but he went from being a, a late first-round pick projection to dropping all the way to the third round, and how much money did he lose running that 40? Because he didn't check the box. The tape showed something different, and since he's gotten in the NFL, he's been a great right tackle, he's been a great left tackle, but at the same time, you can look at what happened with Orlando Brown Jr., but if Evan Neal goes out there and runs a 5 8, 40, wouldn't expect him to, but I'm saying if he did, he's probably dropping to the second and third or third round too. You know, teams can, just can't help themselves. They're always worried about the the profiles. So, I mean, just let them make their own decision, and we'll move on to talking about the current roster and what Alabama has coming back and guys they got bring, that they're bringing in. We're going to do quarterbacks and outside linebackers or edge rushers today. We're going to do wide receivers and cornerbacks tomorrow. That's going to be an interesting conversation. And then we'll just continue on through. But, Jimmy, we'll start with the quarterbacks. won't have to spend a ton of time, but I do want to dive into, you know, every player, all, I guess all three. There's only three of them, really, that we're talking about. And just where you think the position is at. So, heading into spring, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on Alabama's quarterback situation.
1: Well, with Bryce, uh, you know, this is the way I look at it. I haven't heard from inside the program this, but this is what makes sense to me knowing Bill O'Brien, uh, knowing Bryce, knowing their game. Look, we don't have to spend a lot of time. Uh we don't have to spend a lot of time with uh making Bryce a, a better passer or or making Bryce a quicker, you know, twitchier kid. Uh we don't have to spend a lot of time on 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 that sort of stuff. But what you can spend time on is the mental part of it. And by that I mean Bryce is a year away from being a pro. I think it makes a lot of sense right now for for Bryce to dive in, be a pro quarterback now. And what that means is more time on on developing pre-snap read ability, improving that part of it. The pre-snap read, uh, the read while the while the while the play is in motion, uh, just just learning the technical part of things and making him a more well-rounded professional quarterback because we know the physical part is there he won the Heisman trophy you can't really improve too much on being a a, a passer and, and that sort of thing of course you have to always work on it of course you have to always rep it I just say where Bryce can make improvements Clint to me is on pre-snap reads, getting Alabama in the right play, giving Bryce even more leash. And, And believe me, he had some leash last year, but give him even more leash, which will make us really dangerous if Bryce is the coach on the field, if Bryce can make the call, if Bryce is right way more often than he's wrong about what call to be in at what time. So that's the challenge to me with Bryce is improving that aspect of his game, which will make him incredibly dangerous. Uh, maybe more interesting to the fans and myself even is the battle for the number two spot. And and it doesn't matter. I mean, this fall to me, like as long as Bryce is healthy, it really shouldn't matter to us who takes the snaps next and who's third between Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson. Uh, But what does matter is this it's positioning themselves for next spring because it's going to be a battle Royale next spring. Really good really good matchup here because while everyone's excited about Ty, which always happens with somebody new that we haven't seen play yet, people get real excited about that. But uh, don't, 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 don't don't sell all your Jalen Milrow stock. This kid is really talented. I've heard, and I know from inside the program now, these, these, these are the whispers that I'm talking about. They're excited about Jalen Milrow. They are not, uh, like, oh, my gosh, have you seen Ty Simpson? Yeah, they like Ty. They like Jalen Milrow, too. These are two exceptional prospects. They're not players yet. They're both just prospects. But, boy, both have such a high ceiling. It'll be fun to watch them on A-Day where they'll get extended playing time. But, uh, but again, this fall will set up a, a extremely fun quarterback competition between two guys with limitless upside.
0: I agree with what you said. As far as Bryce is concerned, he's the starter. I mean, you're talking about a guy every step of the way. He has exceeded, or I wouldn't say exceeded expectations necessarily because the expectations have been extremely high, but he's had plenty of success. It doesn't matter whether it was in high school. It doesn't matter if he goes to the All-Star Games that he was invited to as a high school prospect. He wins MVP of those. He comes to Alabama. Doesn't become the player instantly. He's playing behind Mac Jones, who I think surprised a lot of people. Instead, he becomes a starter in year two. Didn't get a whole lot of experience in year one because of the All SEC schedule and the fact that you weren't seeing a whole lot of mop-up duty types of situations. But showed some promise in the limited time that he was on the field, and then becomes the first ever Heisman Trophy winning quarterback in Alabama football history. I mean, he throws for close to five thousand yards, had fifty total touchdowns, only had seven interceptions. I thought that he threw the ball with anticipation a lot better as the season went on. It was a question that I had kind of early on for him, and he got better at it, which is a a huge positive uh, sign, but then you also got to wonder how much better Heisman winning quarterback, how much better can Bryce Young be in his second year as a starter, especially if the offensive line in front of him can improve, if they can get a better unit in front of him how much more time can he spend on dissecting the defense and attacking the defense and putting strain on the defense rather than running for his life or trying to survive, to try to make a play, you know, that just that entire concept can completely shift based off the protection in front of him. I don't know if he's ever going to run to the degree that some fans want him to, but that's okay. You know, I thought in the, in the national championship, Hey, There is no tomorrow, right? I mean, this is the last game of the season. If you get a little banged up, you know, some bruised ribs or whatever, you got months to recover and prepare for the next season. And he still didn't run. And so at this point, I just think, hey, he's going to take his chances when he needs to, and he's going to probably create some pretty big opportunities for Alabama's offense when he does because defenses won't be expecting it. But he's never going to be this guy that you're going to have design quarterback runs or, hey, we really need you to run it at least five or six times in this football game. I just don't think that's ever going to be the plan going into any sort of contest, no matter how exploitable a defense is. It's just like, Hey, take it when you want to don't, when you don't. Uh, But as far as the backup quarterback spot, I also completely agree with you. Now, here's the thing. If Jalen Milrow goes the entirety of the 2022 season ahead of Ty Simpson on the depth chart, that to me is not very telling. Anything can happen. Once Ty Simpson gets into his second season and you open up the quarterback battle if Ty Simpson ends up ahead of Jalen Milrow in year one, I do think in some ways that sends a message. People yes. didn't take into account enough that Bryce Young jumped Paul Tyson for the number two job as a true freshman, and they all thought Paul Tyson, and, and yeah, it was technically an open quarterback battle, but Bryce Young, the coaching staff had kind of told you how they viewed those two quarterbacks at that point. Ty Simpson had a couple of years in the program, and he was the number three quarterback quarterback to a true freshman uh, who came in and jumped him. So if Ty Simpson ends up doing something similar, I think that we need to take that into account. But Jalen Milrow is very talented. I completely agree. He only attempted seven passes as a freshman. I think he completed like three of them for 41 yards and a touchdown. Really, when he came in, it was more about running ability, being that power running quarterback, grinding clock, you know, and mop-up duty. But he does have all the tools that he needs to be successful as a passer, he has the arm strength. He can throw with velocity. He can attack all three levels of the field. The mechanics are still a work in progress, but I really like his upside. With Ty Simpson, man, I mean, as much as I like Jalen Milrose upside, it's hard not to like Ty Simpson's upside even more. He was a top 35 player, according to every all four major recruiting services out there. Uh, he really should have been a five-star plus, which is a guy who is rated as a five-star prospect across the board he was as close as you could have possibly have gotten to that cuz most recruiting services their top 32 players are a five star and so right. he was just a couple of spots from being able to be a five star consensus but on or a five star plus player in the on3 consensus though he was the number 1 quarterback in the country and the number 22 overall player love his ability to create whether it says on on the run or as a passer he can improvise plus he's extremely accurate with the football and he's got plenty of arm strength. I wouldn't say it's elite arm strength, but it's well above average. And he kind of has a background in that, you know, RPO type of offense. And what I've kind of really, if you look at what Alabama's bringing in with the the core of receivers, they're not bringing in any, any big guys. It's all undersized players, extremely explosive guys who could excel kind of like that 20, you know, 18, 2019 group of receivers who are great at the RPO game. You bring in a quarterback who can run the RPO to perfection, whether it be putting strain on the defense, you know, with his legs or throwing with accuracy, which is something else that Ty Simpson can do. I think when he becomes the starting quarterback, you know, next year, the year after, I think you're going to see a lot more RPO than we've seen in the last couple of years. I think you get, uh, you know, back to that 2018-2019 style with Tua where, you know, he threw with accuracy. You had guys, you know, the quick slants, they catch it. They take it 75 yards for a touchdown. That's the exactly, first of all, in number, but also in skill set. That's the exact same style of player that Alabama identified in this class. Plus, you're bringing in that quarterback that can take advantage of it. So, you know, I feel pretty good about the quarterback position. I think fans should too. I think it's perfect. You work on your number two quarterback battle later on, you let them work, you know, throughout camp, but you're getting both of them reps, whatever. And then you put an eye on 2023. But as far as the edge group, Jimmy, what are your thoughts on those guys? Because Alabama's top two players are Bryce Young and Will Anderson Jr. And so that's the two positions that we're talking about today. What are your thoughts on those guys going into the 2022 early spring training?
1: Well, Will Anderson is so good, uh, we don't talk about Dallas Turner enough. And that's because of Will. I mean, if it wasn't for Will, this this spring and summer would be the spring and summer of Dallas Turner. We, we'd be just... Dallas Turner was as good and productive of a freshman as Will Anderson was as a freshman. That's that's how good Dallas was. I, I think Alabama has the best outside linebacker duo in college football. I know that I'm not trading them for anybody. I doubt anybody, any Alabama fan is, and everybody else wants them, even Ohio State and Georgia. Uh, just outstanding starters. We just got to keep both of them healthy. Uh, How long has it been since Alabama's been able to keep an entire linebacking core healthy throughout the course of a season? It would be nice if we could do it with Will and Dallas. If so, they're probably going to set records for for the number of sacks. Uh, We'll spend all summer talking about the X's and O's of it, but a real interesting thing to me is we talked about it last summer, Clint. We talked about how we're going to see a lot of nickel rabbit, and, and we hadn't seen a lot of that during the Saban era, but we will. We just thought it was going to be because of Chris Allen and Will Anderson uh, and ended up being because of a true freshman and Will Anderson. Uh, Nickel, we will see even more Nickel Rabbit this, this fall just simply because when you take Dallas off the field, now you're no longer playing with your best 11. I mean, the, 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 and that, that's why. I mean, you, you've got to put your best 11 players out there, and, and that means never taking Will and Dallas off the field which means nickel rabbit. And and we'll but we'll we'll talk about that all summer. Uh as far as the depth goes, uh it, it's on the one hand great depth, and on the other hand, weird depth. And here's what I mean by the great part. Chris Braswell is is now an experienced veteran pass rusher. Uh I still think he's got a lot of development to, to go on first and second down. Uh I think that's where he has to put in the work because next year in 2023, he's gonna be a starter. Uh, and and he needs to improve in terms of first and second down, but as a third down pass rusher, uh, Braswell's outstanding, and he's going to be even better this fall. So I really like him off the bench. I think the next uh, outside linebacker is likely to be Keanu Coat, uh, Coat uh, redshirted, and you're like, I think he showed up at about 215, 217, and you're like, man, if this guy puts on weight, he'll be unstoppable. He already has. Uh, Per the new roster, he's up to like 235, 236. Uh, He put on the weight quickly. Uh, I I think he's going to be outstanding. His upside is just unbelievable. He can be a pass rusher now with this added weight. He'll be better uh, holding the edge against the run. Uh, I think he'll be an exciting player off the bench. Uh, That leaves Jeremiah Alexander, uh, who has the makings of what Will was when he came in, what Dallas Turner was when he came in. Jeremiah's a little... Thicker and bigger than those guys at the same age, so that's interesting. Maybe we see a situation, uh, Clint, where Jeremiah is kind of off the bench on first and second down, and Braswell's off the bench on third down. They could be a good, uh, uh, I guess, in, in baseball you call them a platoon. Uh, they could be a good platoon uh, players that that just kind of accentuate their strengths until they develop full games. Uh, the last outside linebackers, Quandarius Robinson, even though some people probably refer to him as a bust i I still think it's way too early for that uh he has struggled to put on weight he's not as heavy as Keanu coat right now uh so i think q is you know he was a db when he was in the ninth and tenth grade i still think maybe he's got a db mentality he still hasn't added the weight he needs to add uh but he has such good upside athletically He's going to be a guy I don't give up on until he's no longer on our campus.
0: Yeah, I think that's a pretty good evaluation. Uh, You know, with with Will Anderson, I mean, as a freshman, I I want to say that he played close to 70% of the snaps. And then this past season, he played like 87% or a little over 87%. So that's almost a 20% increase uh, from, you know, as far as his snap share from his first to second year. Because he's so good, he was a top five Heisman finalist. Can't run away from him because he has the ability to chase you down. You can't, you know, run at him because he's great at the point of attack. You know, he, he's a great run defender. He anchors well. He can shed blocks. So, good luck trying to run the football at him, which is what you typically try to do at pass rushers, you know, that you're trying to, to mitigate what they can do as far as getting after the quarterback As you run right at him. You make him uncomfortable. You can't do that against Will Anderson. You can't drop back and throw the football because not only can he consistently win one-on-ones, he can consistently beat double teams. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to triple team him? I mean, at that point, that's where Dallas Turner really starts coming to come into play. And if you can get that extra interior complementary pass rusher, now, you know, you're trying to triple team, you know, Will Anderson as much as you can. Now those other two guys are going to get plenty of one-on-one opportunities and and I would certainly expect Dallas Turner to be able to beat a lot of one-on-one opportunities in 2022. Speaking of Dallas Turner, here's what's interesting. Over his last seven games, he had all eight and a half of his sacks. If he were able to keep up that same pace over 15 games, that would be 18.2 sacks, which would have been more than Will Anderson. Now, I think that I still believe Will Anderson is the better pass rusher. I just think that Dallas Turner did a fantastic job of becoming that complementary piece that is able to put strain on opposing offenses and make them pay for not giving both edges a lot more attention. And Alabama also had a great interior pass rusher in Fadarian Mathis, who also was able to exploit the attention that Will Anderson was getting. Seeing a second year, Dallas Turner continuing to get better, on top of trying to identify that other complementary interior pass rusher, Alabama's front will be absolutely lethal, uh, you know, getting after quarterbacks. And I think everybody knows that. What's, you know, something else to consider over the last 10 games. So since the old mess game, since Drew Sanders got hurt, Dallas Turner still only played 317 snaps of a possible 676, which is under 50%. So he was over the last those last 10 games when he was getting some starts and really starting to pick up his sack production, he still was playing less, less than 50% of the snaps. Now for me, my and my prediction for him going into this next season, I think he probably sees about a 15% snap share increase you know, that would put him a lot closer. You know, he'd probably be in that 60 plus percent because even though you are going to see a lot more nickel rabbits, you're still going to see, you know, this past year what they did was in a lot of situations when they had a four-man front, they had three true defensive linemen and one outside linebacker with Will Anderson. And then in obvious passing situations, they'd have two true defensive linemen and both their outside linebackers or both their edges on the field. I still think you see quite a bit of that I just think that Dallas Turner has earned the right to be on the field a lot more than 47% of the snaps like he was over the last 10 games. Since that injury had happened to Drew Sanders, before that, it did not count. But just his production and his progress, you know, Nick Saban talked about it. Not only as a senior did you see him make strides as far as getting better, he took time to, you know, learn under Jason Taylor really got close and and developed a relationship with him, the former Hall of Fame outside linebacker, pass rusher, played for Nick Saban with the Miami Dolphins. He took the time to get to know him, learn from him as much as possible. Then he gets to Alabama. He's third string. You know, you got Drew Sanders in front of him and you got Christopher Allen. It took injuries to both of those two guys in order to allow him to get on the field. But during that time, before he became the starter, what was he doing? he was constantly in the ear of Will Anderson. He was constantly trying to learn and get better. And guess what? When the opportunity presented itself, and Nick Saban has talked about other guys who did not take advantage of their opportunities, he specifically went out of his way to praise Dallas Turner because that is a guy who, when he was third string and he was, you know, there was very little chance of him getting on the field, he was going to work every day to get better. He was learning from the absolute best in Will Anderson. And when he got an opportunity, he took full advantage of it. And that's the kind of thing that I know that Nick Saban and the coaching staff is looking for with these young players. So from a size perspective, he's lost five pounds. He went from 245 to 240, leaning up a little bit. He's still 6'4", still got plenty of length, you know, from on tape. It looks like he's got plenty of arm length. You know, I just, I think he's going to be incredible. Going to be a great complimentary piece. We talked about how Christopher Allen was that perfect complimentary piece going into last year. And I think Dallas Turner is even more so where he's, he really should be a lot of teams' true number one, and he should be receiving the extra attention. But because you have Will Anderson, Dallas Turner is going to get so many one-on-one opportunities, and I would not be shocked at all if next year Turner ended up with more sacks than Will Anderson because of that. Because he has the high pass rushing upside, and he's got a cleaner path to the quarterback, because of who Will Anderson is, I could see him fully taking advantage and getting up there to – you know, 13 or 14 sacks, and then Will Anderson, I could, definitely think he's breaking double digits again, but because of the attention he's going to get from the start of the season to the end of the season, he's still going to get plenty of sacks, don't get me wrong, but I wouldn't be shocked if there was a little bit of a dip in that area because of the extra attention and what teams are going to try to do to mitigate his impact on a football game, but that's also very difficult to do, so I want to acknowledge that. So any thoughts real quick, I, I want to talk about the other guys on the, the the roster at outside linebacker, but I want to give you a chance to talk about those top two. If you got anything to say based off what I just said.
1: No, no, that was really interesting. I love those uh those takes, particularly about how Dallas will uh will will be one on one a lot. And Will's gonna see tons of double teams and even triple teams getting chipped by backs and tight ends and and, and Dallas is going to have a, a a cleaner path to the quarterback, as you say, uh I think that and I, I would look I would focus more, maybe in terms of like Alabama fans that would like to see Will make a run at Derek Thomas's twenty-seven sack number. I, I would focus a little more uh, in in terms of the the number being put up by the two of them as a, as a duo, because that that's what's going to blow things out of the water. I mean uh, that as a as a duo, uh, they make each other more effective because anybody's going to double-team Will to start the game, and then when Dallas Turner has two sacks in the first half, maybe Will doesn't see the double-team in the second half. So uh, they, they, they complement each other, and uh, the key is uh, both of them stand healthy. But as you're about to talk about, uh, what's really exciting is, hey, you never want to take Will and Dallas off the field. You never do, because why would you do that? But when they do, and then you bring in pass rushers like Chris Braswell and Keanu Coat. We're just not giving, uh, we're not giving opposing tackles a, a chance to breathe.
0: Yeah, and what's I mean, you've got six total players at outside linebacker right now. Now, a guy like Jahad Campbell could end up kicking two outside linebackers as well, but right now I think he's going to start off as an off-ball linebacker. Five of those six players were five-star prospects according to at least one recruiting service. Keanu Cote was a five-star according to on three. Jeremiah Alexander was up close to kind of being a five-star plus. Chris Braswell close to being a five-star plus Dallas Turner was five-star plus, uh, Will Anderson. I think ESPN was the only one that didn't have him as a five-star. So just the talent at outside linebacker is as deep as any other position. I want to say there's as many, or maybe a little bit more. If I recall at wide receiver, there's five or six at that spot, but at the same time, you've got established guys, you, you know, that these five stars at outside linebacker, at least two of them have come on and they've become, you know, future all Americans, future, you know, first round picks and Dallas Turner or Willie Anderson, Chris Braswell. It's interesting to me because I really, I, like I said, I started paying attention to Dallas Turner's snap share. Once Drew Sanders also went down at outside linebacker, that's where I felt like it became important prior to not really same for Chris Braswell. But what's interesting is we talked about the snap share that, dallas turner got over the last 10 games since that old miss game when drew sanders got hurt chris braswell only played 36 of a possible 676 snaps he played 5.3 percent of the snaps uh, on defense at outside linebacker after playing zero snaps as a true freshman he played a total of 114 snaps out of just over a thousand so he was right around that 10 to 12 percent range and you know we saw him do some positive things in the 8a game last year I do think he's capable of being a nice, complimentary, rotational pass rusher. And I'd really like your whole platoon thing. In most situations, I would love it. And because I've, I've, I was talking about, hey, if for whatever reason the coaching staff, because Dallas Turner was playing less than 50% of the snaps, maybe they saw something with his run-stopping ability where they viewed him more as just a pass rusher Maybe Jeremiah Alexander can be a platoon with Dallas Turner. Then I started to really look at the tape and I was like, wait a minute, Dallas Turner is actually pretty darn good against the run. They just preferred in certain situations to have three true defensive linemen in their four-man front and just having one outside linebacker, one true edge rusher. So that's where that came from. It wasn't that they were concerned about his ability to stop the run. And so that's where now I'm starting to think, okay, maybe Jeremiah Alexander doesn't really have a big role because... If there was a path to playing time in year one, a lot of playing time, I think it would be against the run for him. We've talked about him, great edge setter, excels you know, when it comes to leverage, extremely powerful, strong at the point of attack, good pass rushing upside, but not great pass rushing upside. I think seven to 10 sacks is probably where he's going to be. And him checking in at 258, and I talked about this on the message boards, very Courtney Upshaw-esque to me. you know. And I'm not talking about early Courtney Upshaw, because when he showed up at Alabama, he was like 230. But when I played against him in the state championship game back in 2006, he was an underclassman. But he was like, I think you said that he was 195 that 195.
1: season. His junior year, it was listed at 195.
0: And then we played him, and they they redid. They had a very specific. I, I remember I went from being six foot to ten as a linebacker to six foot to twenty because I had gained a little bit of weight over the course of the season. I wasn't all great weight, by the way. <laughs> like like old Courtney's was, but when they redid the uh the the roster for the state championship, they had him listed at six two two ten. And he played tight end and he played outside linebacker. And I remember thinking, you know, he was their big prospect, him and Darrell Jernigan uh there for U And then the next year he ends up playing, I think, a senior year at 220, Then he shows up to Alabama at 30. And from there he just kept getting bigger. And then by senior year, he was 265 as an outside linebacker. Uh, Jeremiah Alexander showing up is 258 I think some of that's probably a little bit of bad weight I really do Uh, I just I highly doubt the coaching staff wants him you know when I first wrote about it and I first had a reaction to it when the roster was released I thought well maybe because he's such a great elite edge setting you know outside linebacker they kind of want him to have some mass and maybe that's you know he can be that quote unquote third true defensive lineman on the field, but really he's an edge rusher. You get what I'm saying? Um he, he can be a great early down run stopping presence. And that might be true, but I think they probably want him closer to the 250 at the very least 255 range. But I think long term he's going to be a big body guy and he's going to be a great edge setter and he's going to be a good, not great pass rusher. Like I said, seven to ten sacks is probably where I'd project him, you know, on any given season. And then Coat is the other one that is very interesting because him going like you nailed it. He showed up I think at two fifteen or that's where he played in high school. As a freshman, he was listed at two twenty in Alabama. Now he's listed at two thirty one, so sixteen pounds added since that two fifteen days, plus eleven pounds, which was one of the bigger you know weight gains for players going from year one to year two. And he, I mean, extremely explosive off the football. He's got true edge rusher bend. But the most important thing for him, because I still don't think he's going to contribute a lot this year, it's continuing to add as much play strength as possible and continue to add a little bit more weight, try to get to that 235, 240 range. And then it's a matter of determining, you know, how limited is he against the run? Because before very limited, I mean, there was only very specific situations, third and long, long situations where you could maybe consider putting him on the field Now, maybe if he can hold up a little bit better against the run, he's not as telling when he's on the field. How much of that does, you know, ends up coming into play and how much does he actually end up contributing in year two? I think, barring injury, Will Anderson pretty much every snap, I think you're seeing Dallas Turner around 70%, 60, you know, in between 60 and 70. I think you're seeing Chris Braswell, you know, 15%, you know, a little bit more, 18%, 20% maybe. I, I don't think you're seeing a ton of him though. And then, I think from there, a lot of these other guys aren't really going to play this year. It's, so then it's all about development. And then if injuries happen and you have to start getting into some of that depth, just like you had to last year, your third string guy ended up being your starter. Keanu Cote needs to be prepared to have a bigger role. And Jeremiah Alexander needs to be ready to have a bigger role because it can always happen. But anyways, that's going to do it for the position previews today. Jimmy, do you have anything else to add before we get out of here?
1: Yeah, one final thing I'm going to write about it this week. Um, you know, you're building a team, and, and, and we can't take those guys off the field, but here's one worry I have. The, the outside linebackers are probably the best position group on the team in terms of the starters and, to some extent, the depth. Uh, we're going to have quality guys out there that are ready to play SEC football, and we can't say the same about offensive tackles, and that's who they go up against in these scrimmages and on A-Day. And I'm real curious as to how we handle that because we're trying to find two tackles and I don't know how fair it is or what kind of measuring stick it is. If we say, gosh, I want to play Latham and Brock or Meyer at tackle, but they just can't get Will Anderson and Dallas Turner blocked. I mean, we could have some real ugly looking practices is what I'm saying. The tackle group has a long way to go. We're trying to find two tackles capable of playing in the sec and they're going to have to learn on the job against two of the best pass rushers in the sport. So, A, it might be helpful, but B, I don't know how helpful. For instance, if uh, I would suggest to anybody out there, you know, if you want to work on, on your hitting, uh, so, so your idea of improving as a hitter is stepping in the batter's box against Clayton Kershaw, I don't know if that's going to improve you or not. So, so that, that, that's an interesting, uh, angle to the spring.
0: It's funny that you say that because typically it's iron sharpens iron, you know, it's, it's, Hey, there's no, and and that is true. There is not going to be a single pass rushing duo that any offensive tackle for Alabama is going to see better this year than Will Anderson and Dallas Turner in practice. None, absolutely none, but they might be so much better that these guys can't get an accurate gauge of where certain guys are at. And I, I mean, last year, I heard about it a lot. It, it was in spring and it was in, yep. even in fall practice, the offense was having a very tough time of knowing where they stood and where certain guys were improving because anytime that Will Anderson was on the field, he was wrecking so much havoc. that They couldn't get an accurate gauge of, of how it's going to look on a typical Saturday. Because nobody they were going to play was going to be as good as Will Anderson as far as getting after the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he was just causing so many problems. He was causing Alabama's offense as many problems as he was causing every other offense out there during the season. Now you've got another one of those guys. And I remember you know a couple of years ago you had uh, Tim Williams, and you, yep. I think it was was it, uh, Ryan yep. Anderson. Yep. And Ryan Anderson was yep. more of the complimentary piece. I think Dallas Turner is a much better you know pass rusher as far as being the number two guy. But, you know, ha- especially having Tim Williams, he was wrecking some havoc too. And in the spring, the offensive line looked terrible. And Alabama fans were freaking out and saying, oh, my gosh, we're going to be so bad. Our offensive line's terrible. We're really concerned. And then once you saw them against other people, it's like, wait a minute, they look a lot better. Maybe Tim Williams is just that good. And then you come to find out the offensive line ended up being, you know, solid. You know, it ended up being more than serviceable. And I- I'm hoping that having those two players – you know, Anderson and Turner do enough to get some of the other guys ready and understand. But, I mean, if you're getting abused every single day, sometimes that can hurt your your confidence too. Okay. So it will be something to watch, man. And that's a great point and it's something that I haven't really thought about. But it is uh, that is the Alabama way. You know, who they're going to be going against in spring on a day-in, day-out basis is going to be one of the best players they're going to see all year. And, and that's really at any position because you're at Alabama, uh, but especially for those offensive tackles. So that's going to do it for yet another episode of the BAM on three show. Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping in here with me. This was fun. We'll be doing the cornerbacks and receivers tomorrow, and then we'll continue on doing an offensive position and a defensive position every single day leading up to Friday and then also on Friday, which is the start of spring practice. So once again, I appreciate you hopping on here with me, and we'll talk soon.
1: Uh, looking forward to tomorrow. I love these previews. I love this. I hope uh, everybody listening is enjoying it as much as we enjoy doing it because uh, spring football practice is here. We're talking about the 2022 Crimson
0: Tide. Absolutely. All right. That's going to do it for yet another episode of the Bam on 3 show. I'm your host, Clint Lamb.